0: grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get
1: started. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who is out my house in San Francisco starting at just $1 billion per night, but in my spare time, I'm just a reporter and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know around the tech industry. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. He's here in part because there was recently a tragic incident at an Airbnb rental near Oakland, California. Five people were shot and killed and many others were injured at a Halloween party in Arinda. So we're gonna talk about that and more in fact, Brian called me recently and said he wanted to talk about it and face it head on. So here we go. Brian, welcome back to Recode Decode.
2: Oh, thank you, Karen. You've
1: been here many times. Yes, I'm l- really really interviews. excited to be back. Yeah, and you're coming to Code, which we're very excited yes, about. Yes, very excited. And I'm um, with my co-founders. Co-founders, which is going to be fun because the last time we all were together, you were starting the company and I met you in a coffee shop. I think it was shop. like
2: 2010 at the Creamery in San Francisco. Yeah. And Joanna and I were running the company of a three-bedroom apartment. Yeah, exactly. And you were like... Probably the one of the first big interviews I ever did in my life. Yeah. And I was pretty terrified.
1: Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, you're terrified now. But, exactly. le- but let's talk about what happened. So you announced to me today on stage at the New York Times conference. Explain the situation for people who don't know. There was a party yeah. using one of an Airbnb yeah. rental, a party yeah. house. And there was a shooting yeah. a, on Halloween. Yeah. You then... Just announced some stuff today. So, talk a little bit about this incident and then. Yeah, it was a
2: horrible tragedy. Um, On Halloween, a guest books an Airbnb in Narinda, California. Mm -hmm. The guest says, Just near San Francisco. Just for me. And and the guest says, This is for her and her family. The host says, uh, uh, Please confirm you're not going to throw a party. She says, I confirm there's no parties. And then, of course, proceeds to throw a huge party, has flyers, and 100 people show up. Mm -hmm. To say the party got out of hand is an understatement. Mm -hmm. It got extremely violent and led to a deadly altercation of a mass shooting of eight people. Mm -hmm. Five are murdered. Mm -hmm. We get this news on Friday. And it just hits us. And we've had bad things in before, sure. but this was just next level. And it just – I was actually on a plane to New York City as I spent the week here in New York. And immediately it was, it was kind of like a, a bit of a like, okay, like we're going to stand up. And there were a bunch of things we're already working on. And, you know, so most of the stuff we announced today aren't things we hadn't thought about, but they were like two-year roadmaps, three-year roadmaps. And I just said, like, we're going to use this as a line in the sand to accelerate the roadmaps. And we're going to, like, management by press release, like Bob Iger's book. He Mm -hmm. says one of the things he sometimes does is he says something publicly so then the teams internally can't push the deadlines back. And I'm going to use this as a moment. Right. So we announced four things. Not all would prevent Arinda, but we felt like all would provide trust in the platform. Mm-hmm. The first is we want to make sure that every listing on Airbnb is verified. Mm-hmm. Verify for accuracy. The address is what it says it is. The photos are accurate. The amenities are accurate. It's got basic standards, clean. It's got right amenities, things like that. How, it,
1: how do you do that now? This, this is 100% verified. Right 100%. now, explain people how you verify now
2: right people now people sign
1: up and you can't verify you don't verify no.
2: so we have two products that are really solid verification Airbnb Plus right. and Airbnb Lux. and those we have professional inspections so we actually have a Contractor, employee, or community member show up on site and they do a multi hour inspection, two, three hundred point inspection.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We were already planning so plus on.
1: Plus would be like these are special properties. Yeah.
2: So Lux is like $1,000 a night. Plus is like $200, $300 a night. Right. And, and they're very high end properties and they've got elevated design and quality. Right. Now the challenge is you can't physically inspect seven, eight, nine million properties. So there's a number of things that we've tried to do. With Airbnb experiences, we actually. Actually, vet every single experience. We make them apply. We you can't just publish anything. Mm -hmm. We look at your qualifications. If you need a license, we make you mail or like email us a copy of your license. We do online vetting. If we need more information, we'll even do phone screens, things like that. And
1: you go to do some of them, right? You you all try these out. And
2: then we create a very uh, secret shopper program where we have community members that get discounts to leave a review and kind of make sure it is what it says it is, and we've got a variety of quality control mechanisms. So we've been basically asking if we can't actually physically inspect eight, nine, ten million homes, how can we do it? And what we're going to do is kind can of. Can I
1: ask you how many are air? Airbnb plus and Airbnb lux. Oh, it's
2: very small. So a plus <laughs> is only 5,000. Lux is tw- 25,000. Now we will eventually have a few hundred thousand, mm-hmm. but it's still, we're not talking millions. It's a small millions. amount, small of, amount. Of the
1: high level stuff that people level. are so, paying. So you need to so know that So we need quality.
2: to find a different way to do it. So what we're going to do is, now <laughs> let me preface by saying the team was developing this and I kind of gave them a, you have one year to not only figure this out, but to deliver this. Mm-hmm. So they're, 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 Thing. You can imagine what I'm doing about San Francisco. They're mm-hmm. going to be going through meetings. We're going to be um, doing a bunch of things. The first thing we do is a lot of online vetting. So we're going to ask the host to submit key pieces of information. We still haven't figured out all the information they can submit. Then we're going to redo our entire review system. One superpower Airbnb is 70% of guests leave reviews. Right. And these are, Pretty trusted reviews, not just asking you five stars, but we're going to start asking them to verify pieces of information, so we're totally redoing their review system. And then on top of that, we're going to basically create an incentive program where they can pay to get verified, they can get a badge, and there are going to be a couple other, like, ways we're going to be able to So use pay to verified,
1: meaning someone will physically go to these Yeah, locations. so if
2: you, if you want to fast-track your verification, you can just pay us and we'll send somebody because it is very expensive to basically physically inspect mm-hmm. um, 10 million homes. And you think
1: this will give people more of a trust to, that this is 100%. A
2: I think ultimately my goal is eventually we'll be able to, for free— verify upon publish. We, mm-hmm. de- we We just don't have the technology yet to do that and be able to stand I'm by it. Talk about I, some
1: of the strictures of doing it, because right now you essentially rely on, it's a very easy to game system because you rely on the reviews of people and the idea that people are telling the truth, like what yeah. you talked about today on stage, that people are, yeah. the whole idea of Airbnb was... I remember when you told it to me, I was like, people aren't going to stay in my home. Yeah. I'm not going to stay in someone's home. They're going to well, spy on me. It I was thought crazy. of 20 different This will never work. Things. Everyone said it will never work. So the idea was to trust people. But obviously yeah. when you get into millions of people, you, there's scammers all over the place yeah, on are. both sides. Yeah. Not just the people who rent the yeah. houses, but the hosts themselves. And there was just a recent bias yeah. article about yes. this. So if you can't do it by hand, which is expensive, yeah. which is extraordinarily expensive – you just relied on that before, but people didn't realize it, it was just relied on reputational issues. Yeah, it, it
2: it was mostly reputation. The review system works pretty well. It is. I don't want to ever suggest nothing is ungameable. Mm-hmm. We have deactivated about nine hundred and seventy thousand listings in our history, so we have mm-hmm. removed a ton of scams For that what? would have happened.
1: Give me an example. What would people do?
2: Well. People, the most egregious thing is like the vice circle. They create listings that don't exist or are grossly misrepresented. This happens every single day on Craigslist. Anyone who uses Mm -hmm. Craigslist or even VRBO knows there's no adjudication, there's no reputation, there's no recourse. You can't do anything. You can't even do anything. So we do a lot more. We do have a fraud team. We have a multi hundred person trust and faith. uh, I'm sorry? On
1: fraud, your fraud team.
2: Um, probably at least 300 kind of, we've got like trust fraud. We also have financial fraud. So, but you know, at least three, maybe 400 people.
1: Out of how many?
2: Employees? About 6,000. Okay. So it's a meaningful small. percent of the company. Well, you're not huge, yeah. but it's still a meaningful percent of the company. But, you know, honestly, we have to take this a lot. We, we, we think that we're making up for lost time. Mm-hmm. And if I could have done all over again, I would have done a lot more sooner. I think that's one of the lessons here is that, you know, when you grow really fast, you sometimes fall behind. And I think a lesson of all of us is we've been a little either wishful in our thinking or naive in not being imagined enough about how the platform could be used in ways we didn't intend it. We have to use more of imagination, and we have to be bolder. I mean, a lot of our companies are trying to catch up to what we wish mm-hmm. we did. The only way to catch up is to be a lot bolder, but to be bold makes a lot of people internally uncomfortable. That's mm-hmm. going to cost money. Well, that's how that's not possible the roadmap. We have to trade off against these other resources. And so sometimes the best mechanism is to just make a line in the sand, announce it publicly, and then regardless of okay, objection. Okay, I get
1: that. So let's go that you since you brought that up, let's go back there. I was going to get to that later, but this idea of anticipational consequences is one I've talked about a lot. Like yes, that you, you have. didn't I knew about your house parties. Why didn't you know about? I mean, I've heard about them for a long time that people rent these houses yeah. this is one of the reasons I don't rent my house in Airbnb. I'm yeah. like how do I actually prevent that? Yeah. I have always the worst-case scenario. You know that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Here, you're, you're in the
2: business of being skeptical. Right, and exactly. I think Not it's just healthy. skeptical.
1: Like, this, here's the 10 things that are happening, yeah. whether it's Facebook Live, whether it's anything else. Totally. Why didn't you anticipate that people were using these? There's been a zillion yeah. news articles about this. Neighborhoods yeah. being upset about parties or, or roving bands yeah. of renters and things like that. So if I knew about it, and yeah. I am the most unhit person I know, why didn't you? <laughs> you're you're, know you're that?
2: more than that, but right. um, it's a really good question. We knew about it. I just don't think we were being aggressive enough, fast enough. I mean, <laughs> we've usurped like thousands and thousands of parties. We already had a neighbor hotline. It just wasn't staffed 24-7. It wasn't easy to find. Mm -hmm. So we said, let's actually staff this properly. Let's make sure it's in 61 languages. Let's make sure it's actually responsive. We were already detecting parties. If somebody tries to book a 10-bedroom reservation in the same city, Mm -hmm. if the messaging is like Uh, you know, kind of suspicious, a bunch of things trigger it. I just think that we were not bold enough, not fast enough. And everyone knew about these issues. But I just think it's I I don't think it's I think it's a little bit about you don't like when you build a company, you don't imagine how the product's gonna be used. Then you start realizing, then you start addressing it. But you're a little bit perpetually behind. And to get ahead, you have to be much bolder.
1: What is Within you all that you don't recognize the dangers of things like that. I, what is is it a good? Because a lot of people they touted that is oh growth at all costs. That's one thing is the idea of growth at all yeah. costs, which I think creates that atmosphere. Yeah. Two is is this sort of hopeful mentality of Silicon Valley is don't be a bummer we have to go you know you can't be stopped stop you know go go i think Travis Kalanick exemplifies that at Uber like grow 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 damn the torpedoes full speed ahead who cares what gets broken is mark's thing break move fast yep. break things I just want to, I, I really want to get to, and I'm not doing it in a malevolent way, but it's like, no, what is the No, 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 the these problem? are good questions. These are what, really y- good questions. You know, I know your parents, they're lovely. Yeah. I Imagine they taught you about consequences. Yes, of like, course. I spent a lot of time talking to my kids about consequences, and it's not that you're not raised right, it's that, what, what is it in the mentality of Silicon Valley that prevents is it the VCs, is it the push to be growth at all costs, is it to cover up problems, or what?
2: Let me try to answer that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came to Silicon Valley 11 years ago, first of all, the social contract in the internet was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. If you were a marketplace, the view of marketplace at time was you should design an immune system. You know, Craig Newmark says, it's not our job to adjudicate and remove what's on Craigslist. We have community flags they should tell us. If right, you're said, the internet is an immune system. If we create the right incentives and reputation, mm-hmm. it will sort itself out. That was the culture that came in. And, you know, you could say, I as a 26 year old should have known better, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so the paradigm we had was Craigslist. We said, we're gonna add reviews, we're gonna add payments, Reputation. we're gonna add profiles, we're gonna add all this stuff. And I thought we were doing a lot. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was very kind of overly intervening to tell people what was right and what was not right. Mm-hmm. And then in 2011, a woman's apartment was trashed yes, and you, was famous, you, you you knew about this and wrote about this. Right. And then we got a big wake-up call. Right. Suddenly— This was we, a
1: really bad party. This was, was an it orgy. Was, it, was, it was more like this a— um, Sex party.
2: Uh, no, this was a meth addict, meth who, addict right. who had a drug addiction and trashed the apartment for mm-hmm. no no clear reason except right. for the fact that they were probably in drugs. And we started realizing the reputation— isn't enough because no one wants to be a guinea pig. No one wants to be the first horrible review they have to leave. Right. And so we started realizing we need to offer more protections.
1: So talk about what that that time, because you and I have talked yeah, about that, that a lot. That was a turning point At, for the company. It was, and I remember interviewing you several different times back then, and one of it was your response was kind of clottish. The first, we
2: had two responses. Talk about that. Well, we first responded, and the first response, so this woman's apartment's trashed, And you know, we all felt horrible for this woman. We bungled the response. We had very poor customer service. The company grew faster than it was prepared for. But we got a lot of. What did you bungle? What
1: did you talk about? What you bungled? I want to. Well, what we bungled was
2: um, we weren't responsive to her in customer service. Mm-hmm. We had committed to refunding her, but it was just a kind of administrative issue and we didn't actually uh, refund the damages like we said we would. So we didn't keep our word and mm-hmm. it was more of a disorganization than frankly, I think in, in hindsight, an ethical lapse. And we just—I don't think we were compassionate in our communication. We were kind of outsourced the communication. I mean, I could probably go on. But Mm -hmm. things like that, things that are just signs of immaturity.
1: What was your instinct at the time?
2: My instinct at the time was to apologize profusely, do whatever I could to make it right, and to be really bold. That was my instinct. But we were at the time advised, and I think it was well-intentioned advice— don't accept responsibility publicly. If mm-hmm. you say you were wrong, you say sorry, that could open you up to liability. Mm-hmm. And I understand why people would say that. And then there were all these concerns, don't make bold decisions in a crisis because your judgment's clouded and you may make promises to the public that you'll regret because you're not thinking clearly. Mm-hmm. These things make complete sense. And you can imagine a bunch of people much older than you which much more experience telling you this. And so I didn't do that. And instead, I went on TechCrunch. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Michael Arrington was running at the time. I wrote a guest blog post. And I basically said, we're handling the situation Uh, The host is happy. I was misinformed and yeah, kind of trying to, frankly, in hindsight, probably patting myself on the back too much. Then she wrote another blog post refuting everything. And then all of a sudden it was like a Twitter mob and there was a hashtag RAP Airbnb. And all of a sudden I just could not get us out of the cycle. And there was this a crisis in confidence and everyone said, how could you do this? You're callous. You're not moving fast enough. Wouldn't you have known? It was just never ending. Mm. And I, we were kind of brainstorming everything. And at some point, I got to a point where I went from what I describe as making a business decision to making a principal decision.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: No one had any idea how to get out of the crisis. There was no way we could conceive it. Said, screw it. Assume we never get out of this crisis. Assume people are right. It is RIP Airbnb. How do we want to be remembered? Irrespective of outcome, what's the right thing to do? And we said, let's just go through the – so I wrote a letter as if we would or wouldn't exist, but I wanted to be remembered properly. And I first apologized to her unconditionally, said it's 100 percent our fault. It really was against advice of, of, of people and well-meaning people. The second thing is we – Who are
1: pressuring you as a young –
2: yeah, you know, I, I don't want to say pressuring and like a coercive but kind of way. When you're a young
1: entrepreneur, you didn't, there weren't quite as much power in those days. Yeah, before I was the 29 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been a CEO.
2: I've never, never been a CEO, never been a manager. Mm-hmm. The, 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 I'd made $45,000 in my job before this. Mm-hmm. Very little life experience. And so when people who've been doing something in the industry for 30 years tell you something, you're inclined to listen to them. Um, and especially when many people tell you the same thing. So – I wrote an unconditional apology, and we came up with three solutions. A 24-7 customer support line. We didn't think we could afford it, but in times of crisis said, screw it, we'll find a way. A trust and safety team, which is very important today. It doesn't stop everything like Arinda, but it stops a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing is we created this thing called the host guarantee. It was basically like insurance, not officially insurance, but it was a guarantee against theft and property damage and covered host up to $5,000. At midnight, Mark Andreessen came to my office. Investor Mark Andreessen. Sorry, investor Mark Andreessen. He reads my letter. He goes, the letter's great, but there's one problem. And I said, what's that? And he adds a zero after the 5,000. turns into $50,000. I said, are you kidding? We're going to offer $50,000 of um, protection. And by the way, retroactively. So any Mm -hmm. problem you've ever had historically, we'll cover as well. Mm -hmm. I told Mark, I said, what if there were so many problems that, you know, um, we can't afford this? And he goes, well, I'm the one that writes checks. So, I'll, I'll, <laughs> so that, that gave me peace of mind. <laughs> but it was that bold action that restored confidence. And actually, that was the sing- one of the single biggest growth drivers for us. And the irony was it was viewed as an anti-growth thing. It was about mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing. It turns out sometimes doing the right thing is good for growth because people actually trust you. Because you
1: said, we own this. We yeah, to. we
2: own this. And How I many c- did
1: you have to then pay out of that 50000
2: I don't think anyone had to get paid out the full 50,000, and there were a handful of people, and we were pretty like—
1: You did investigations. We did
2: investigations, but we were very generous with the first group. We, we weren't like, going to put people through huge amounts of paperwork because mm-hmm. we said we, we don't really have the standing publicly to be able to do that. So I don't know the number. It's is like nine years ago or eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, so I don't know the number. But it taught me an important lesson. And the lesson, and I can't say I've always learned it because you could criticize Mm -hmm. me for not being earlier and more uh, proactive on other things. But the answer is try to be principled and try to be as bold as possible. And you can try to manage by consensus. You try to manage by consensus in a crisis. You do half measures. You go in the middle. And I think the world is expecting technology leaders to be compassionate, but also have a backbone, to be Mm -hmm. courageous. And it made us really think about trying to anticipate things. I think by and large, we've mostly done that. We had discrimination on the platform in 2016. There was a hashtag Airbnb while black where people um, of color felt like they're being discriminated against, and they were. And this was a existential crisis. How could you have a mission where everyone can be accepted in homes all in the world if people are being discriminated against? So the same thing. We said this is an existential crisis. We hired um, a director of the ACLU. We hired Eric Holder. This is before Uber <laughs> hired Eric Holder. We were the first one to do it. And we basically like, declared like we we're going to skate to where the puck is going and be really bold. And we brought in like dozens of civil rights groups and kind of did the whole thing And I'd probably before the tech companies started doing this kind of stuff. And I'm pretty proud of what we did in hindsight. And step by step, we've tried to be a step ahead, but we're not always a step ahead. And you could totally fair criticism, say we've been the behind in these areas, you know, but to answer your question about like what led to this, like yeah. what's the culture of Silicon Valley yeah. leads to this? There's a couple things. The first is, I think there's been over reliance of growth at all cost. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say I'm a victim of that. All no right. one wants to hear me. You as guys a victim. have
1: had more regulatory things to face yeah. than other companies. Yeah, I do they, think though there is. I do think you, there is. You have that.
2: Yeah, I do think there's too much of a focus on growth, and growth is important, but it's really sustainable growth. And mm-hmm. I think that like growth at all costs is ridiculous. I think growth hacking, you know, has probably gotten a little crazy. I don't think companies should be run by single metrics. I think. Facebook learned that the hard way. Other companies learned that the hard way. Do not run a company on single metrics. I think venture capitalists and the board um, need to ask more questions about founders. But I think they had so much pressure to lose deals, they didn't want to be viewed as Mm founder-friendly, which is a reaction of the 90s. And so they basically, like, don't ask any questions. And, you know, that that goes too far as well. I also do think, though, there's another thing here. I think that when I came to Silicon Valley— the word technology may as well have been a synonym in the dictionary for good. Mm-hmm. And the idea was technology is progress and progress is a step forward and every step forward is good for humanity, therefore we're making the world a better place. And that is where the kind of, kind of Silicon Valley TV show line of we're all making the world a better place mm-hmm. came from. It was a very optimistic place. And I think that we did not collectively as industry have enough imagination of how our platforms can be used for bad. And I think it's, it was just a general breakdown. I also think, though, there was this culture that tech companies are platforms and that platforms should not be hands-on about their content or the activities. And I think the entire internet and the culture of internet has gone through a major change of saying we are actually responsible for what happens in a platform. We have to intervene. Now, a lot of people were worried about intervening. Why? Because Section 230 of CDA. Mm-hmm. Well, if we intervene with the content of our platform, then maybe we'll be more liable. And I think there were all, all these— we say?
1: In fact, it's it's meant to encourage intervention. Exactly. It's meant to encourage people not being worried about being sued so they yeah. can intervene. And that you're...
2: was the whole idea. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's also consequences that people don't intend. And I think it was a very well intentioned law. And I think that people in Silicon Valley were for the most part well intentioned. And I do also want to say that I think for the most part, the inventions of Silicon Valley have been a net positive for the world. But I think we've reevaluated technology is neither good or bad. It can be used for good or bad. And so just to have wishful thinking to say that because it's a step forward, because it's technology, it's therefore good. No, it's just power. And power can be used different ways.
1: We're here with Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Support for this podcast comes from
3: Constant Contact.
1: So one of the things that I think is important is, is, as I said, you all had been regulated early. You're facing, early. we're going to get to. And we were, we're gonna,
2: unique in that way. Yes, you, most you tech and Airbnb,
1: I think we're, I'm, I'm not Airbnb, excuse me, Uber, Uber, Uber we and Lyft. We were both very
2: early.
0: Uh,
1: you, had, you had the more what Steve Case called the third wave, which was a, in healthcare companies. I would think 23 in yeah. May. There were a couple sections of companies that immediately hit the buzzsaw of either regulation yeah. or city and state. Laws that were analog laws, Uh, you were aiming at businesses that were analog. Really, Um, you know, Facebook is about words in a digital ether. You're about actual apartments, like actual or apartments or houses or things like that. It's what
2: happens when the internet moves into your neighborhood. That was the paradigm shift.
1: So, so a couple of things when that happens. Couple, we're going to talk about Jersey City in a second, but um, but when you're doing that. Why not anticipate? Like, did you not think people would be using them for parties? I mean, it's just like, do you sit around? How does your executive team work? Do you go, what could people do with house? Like, I am constantly, when I'm at Airbnbs, Thinking about where's the camera? Yeah, where's the like? And then I'm thinking, oh, it's not much to look at. But I think about that like immediately when I go to a house. I'm like, where do they put the camera? Where, where could they could put the camera? And I immediately start thinking of all the bad things. Or where's the basement? I end up in dismember. Where's the <laughs> like? I literally. I shouldn't there. laugh. No, I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny, but it is funny. But it, I just sit there and I wonder all the things they could. And then on the other side, if I rented one, I'm like, what could they – I saw that – you don't remember this. There was a movie with this guy, Matthew Modine, where they wrecked a whole house and he rented – it was a long story, but he he rented an apartment and then wrecked it. I don't remember this as if I'm young. It's a terrible – (laughs) you don't remember this movie. But it was essentially he got into an apartment and wrecked it in order to take control of houses. Oh. It's great. Uh, It's a guy who was in Batman a while ago. Anyway. I thought of all worst case scenarios on all sides because it's analog because it's much more so than just getting into your computer. It's getting into your physical space. Do you all do that there at Airbnb? Like what could – what is the bad thing? Like how do you monitor house parties or whatever? It's either house parties or cameras or – There's a long list. There's
2: literally thousands of possible incidents. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Here's what I would say. We started the company when I was 26. My co-founders were 26 and 25. Mm -hmm. When we started the company, we were absolutely naive. I had two years work experience. I naively believe people are fundamentally good. I was right statistically 99% of the time that 1% is what we read about. And had I known better, had I been a cynical person of 10 or 20 years more, yeah. m- more age. <laughs> Nasty
1: I, old woman like yeah. me.
2: <laughs> no, ahead. no, no. I probably wouldn't have started Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And so oh, it almost point. took somebody slightly naive to believe that such a notion could work. That most people probably don't think people are fundamentally good, but we believe that. And maybe it was that we were naive. And so I would say in the beginning, we believed that, you know, we didn't have, use the imagination to imagine all the bad things because we believed in the good of people. But Along the way, we did get a lot of data, and we started getting hundreds of millions of data points of the bad things that happened. And so we started triaging the really bad things. And I mean, without going through the exhaustive list, You know, there's human trafficking, there's prostitution, there's obviously using homes for bad reasons, there's terrorists trying to harbor people, there's an extremely long list. And so we started hiring people from the White House, law enforcement agents, we hired members of the FBI and the CIA and others, and we would do scenario planning auditing. So we would do all this. The thing is, there's literally thousands of issues you have to triage. And there's just so many things. And by the way, it's in 100,000 cities. Mm -hmm. So we're not just an American company. In fact, 70% of our businesses are in countries. And by the way, how do you also adjudicate disputes? What happens when a woman from the Middle East stays with a man in Texas and there's a cultural violation, but it's, it's, it's an intersection of cultures? How do you adjudicate that? What do you do when it's hearsay and there's no photo evidence? So Unfortunately, our business became extraordinarily difficult. Mm -hmm. We have to, we handle money in more countries, in more currencies than PayPal. That's Mm -hmm. actually true. We have to manage trust and safety in 100,000 cities. We have the population almost of Los Angeles sleeping in a home every night, but coming from every culture. We have to have relationships with tens of thousands of public security boroughs. We've got to work with the FBI, CAA, and other government agencies in the event that there could be obviously really harmful or wanted people staying in homes, things like that. So I guess the thing I would say is, it, we weren't. I don't want to suggest we were asleep at the wheel. I just think what happens is these platforms grow so fast you, mm-hmm. end, up you end up behind. And once you end up behind with a massive platform. It can get very, very difficult to catch up. And really, the only way you can catch up is through bold action. Mm-hmm. But the bolder you are, the more resistance you'll face because right. boldness so, costs so money. So let's talk
1: about the bold action. So it yes. costs money. You're going to have these guarantees, which is going to cost money. Yeah, everything what would really cost money is if you went into every single house and checked them, correct, all the time?
2: Yeah, I think a professional inspection. Can
1: like Airbnb police force.
2: Yeah, I don't, like, I, don't, I don't know if that would work, but you know, we're open to options. And I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of creative things like what we could do, is have a like we've had pro- we've had a program in the past where guests could get a free night or a subsidized night to be an inspector and they could be trained to be an inspector right. secret shoppers so secret shop so there are there may be ways so to make physical this physical
1: checking of these places They're, the other is yeah, algorithmic yeah. Algorith- so, this is sort of Mark's, This is a Mark Zuckerberg's Yeah, so there's physical parade, in-person right.
2: inspection. There's online inspection, which gets you not as far as physical, but gets you pretty far.
1: Meaning photos.
2: Photos, and they can send it photo evidence. And, like, this is—governments rely on this for registration. Yeah, but
1: they could lie about the photos, right? Go ahead, go ahead. They
2: could lie about the photos. There are companies mm-hmm. that try to authenticate photos, and there's a pretty high—you know, they're not foolproof. Neither is physical inspections. People right. make errors, and they can be misled. Then there's algorithms, and— There's a lot you can do when you have a large enough data set. Once you have a data set of hundreds of millions of anything, you can pretty much find patterns a human can't discern. Patterns of
1: parties or patterns of trafficking. But like the
2: problem is we've all learned in the last 10 years, algorithms alone do not stop everything. Certainly didn't stop election being Mm. compromised, didn't stop uh, quintuple murder on Airbnb. So... You have to do those things. Um, You have to empower the community, create incentives for the community. Again, we have hundreds of millions of people using Airbnb every year, 70% leave reviews. Maybe you can't trust every single instance, but if four people say something, it very well is true after Mm -hmm. four people say something. If you can pull all those things together, you can basically create a confidence score. So I like to say there's no silver bullet, but if you do four or five things, even mm-hmm. if no one thing is bulletproof, the combination can get you a trust score that can give you a certainty of 99.9, what I call three nines. And you'll never hear me say publicly Airbnb is safe mm-hmm. because you can't make a. A, a, just a subjective statement like that. There's always the one in a million. It's all about reducing the risk as much as possible. All
1: right. So that's the one. That's the guarantee, the verification Yeah, and guarantee. I'll just tick
2: through them once more quickly. Okay. There's the verified listing. Number two is a guest guarantee. If you get to an Airbnb, it's not as described. We will get you a, n- another Airbnb of the same or higher value, and we'll do the work for you. Mm-hmm. If there turns out there are no Airbnbs, you don't like them, we'll refund 100% of your money.
1: Just like that, just on your your word, on their word.
2: We're working through the details of how much evidence to provide because, of course, anyone that's in the hospitality industry knows there's an entire industry of people who basically have free vacations. And so we we want to not be that, but we don't want to be the insurance, like a a really – red tape insurance company where you have to provide 50 documents, which is basically no one does it because they don't want to go through the hassle. We want right. to be customer friendly. Right. So this is what the team's figuring out. And so mm-hmm. I basically made the team, you know, we had the team commit yesterday. So certainly don't have the details So that's
1: guest, guest? Guest guarantee. Mm-hmm.
2: Third thing is neighbor hotline. Mm-hmm. The neighbor hotline is basically any neighbor in any country 24-7 can call Airbnb. We're going to staff this line with a rapid response team of people that are going to be trained by former police chiefs in a variety of countries who actually know how to handle responses. We know how to call the police, adjudicate, and essentially deal with these issues. Now, we had a neighbor hotline before. It was a little hard to find. It wasn't staffed 24-7. It wasn't all languages. And in hindsight, you know, we did not have them trained by local police. So we were not equipped for um, really the the promise that we have today. Mm -hmm. We're going to make it front and center on our homepage and our app and hopefully with you Google Airbnb neighbor hotline, it will be the first search result. We don't want it to make it hard to find Mm -hmm. because we've learned obviously the hard way, you pay the price one or the other.
1: Right. Anything else?
2: And the fourth thing is we're just doing a lot more manual screening, which is similar to other tech companies are doing. Right. We don't want to rely solely on algorithms. We were already doing manual screening, but I've increased the budget and asked the team to double down on the amount of manual screenings. So and this we're So this is like content down. moderation,
1: right? This, this is, is not this is as is awful. Like, this is
2: like at but on the guest side. Right. So for example, the most obvious example would be if a person tries to book a 10-bedroom home the same day in their own city, there's a very high chance yeah, of it's trying to that. throw yeah, a party. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's an obvious example. In a, in so what a, do you
1: do then when you see that? Poking? Well, an
2: algorithm basically flags that and it alerts a human. What we're going to basically do is increase the threshold to flag more things and hire more people so to flag more things. So then what happens?
1: Okay, they get the algorithm. The okay, party probably. What do you call them up and say, are you yeah. having a party?
2: The first thing we do is we'd see if they have verified their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, if they The guest. If they haven't, we require them to verify their identity. Once they verify identity, typically in the United States, you can't just in every country, we'll do a background check. Mm-hmm. We'll see if they have a criminal record, see if they're on a sex registry, things like that. And then, depending, you know, and then we'll develop confidence scores. We also have technology um, where there's these things called deep searches where you can kind of mm-hmm. see if they've said things online. It's, it's, it's like software that does this mm-hmm. for you. Basically, and it gets you a, tr- a confidence score of this may be a problem, it may not be a problem. And you basically develop a confidence score. And if you're still not confident, then we would actually have a person call them. Mm-hmm. And these people are ideally trained. They ask a hearers of questions. I don't even know what they do. I, don't, I have not audited the training. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other things I'm not aware Mm -hmm. of. And if you're still not comfortable, ultimately, you just choose not to do business and you deny business. Although you you have to be very careful about not denying business because there's also unconscious bias and discrimination. So, you know, any— There's
1: no calling someone saying, are you having a party? This seems like you're having a party. And if you're having a party, you're violating your terms. If you have one— like I'm, sure, I'm sure.
2: We, I'm so sure. I'm sure. When the they call, version. I'm sure when they call, they ask them. Mm-hmm. Although we've learned, we've. I, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that sometimes people say no and do yes, it anyway. Well, so you you can't just teenagers. take people's word for that. it. I've got you have it. to ask other questions to ascertain yeah. confidence of this is person. Credible. All
1: right. So that's on the guest side. That's yep. protecting scams from guests. Yep. Are there any other big scams from guests that happen?
2: Well, at 600 million people later, you can only imagine the things mm-hmm. people try to do. You know, we have a million dollar protection for every home around the world. It's worked pretty well, but I've asked our trust and safety team to audit the like service time. What's
1: the most thing that happens.
2: The most common damage is just accidental damage. Again, most people are good. So somebody breaks a coffee table, they or like it's a glass table or they crack something or the door handle breaks or this or that. And so the host calls us, they report the damage, they have to usually provide photo evidence mm-hmm. and a few documents, and ideally, if all works, within a reasonable turnaround, they get a refund. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes their insurance covers it, but we will be a backstop, and we'll mm-hmm. actually usually be in the front line. Now, the main thing I'm trying to make sure of is that that doesn't feel like this like mega insurance company that right, doesn't right. want to pay out because ultimately that hurts right. our reputation. Hurts. I think we're all in the reputation business. So what we're trying to do is make sure... So I've asked the team to re-audit the policies to make sure that there is good turnaround and there's a high level of safety. We're also going to be... Um, we're developing higher guest standards mm-hmm. and guest protections. We are looking at companies that offer party detection software. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, software and a variety of things that can essentially detect noise levels. And the noise level hits a certain decibel, it sends an alert to the host. It can also send alert at to the
1: house. They would have this thing at yep, the house.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of startups. An that do
1: Airbnb this. thing. Yeah, like yeah. So on. you can
2: do that, and it doesn't record anything. Mm-hmm. It just triggers decibels once it hits decibel. A loud music. I full one of those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so that would work, right? Yeah. And there's there's about six or seven of those things. I didn't want to. Th- so you
1: offer them to hosts. So we offer would them. offer
2: them to host. Um, we would possibly subsidize them as well. We could take mm-hmm. potentially obviously this has all got to work in the cost mm-hmm. model. These are some of the things we're looking at. We have a long list of things we want to provide for hosts. I mean ultimately we wanna make sure for a host you really aren't practically speaking at a great risk because the incident rate it's very low. We want mm-hmm. the incident rate to be like less than one hundred thousand. That means it's many lifetimes before something happens. And if something does happen, you can get a hold of us twenty four seven, mm-hmm. and you and can, we can pay and that. we'll pay them out. And so hopefully, it makes sense to be right, a that's, host.
1: That's on the host side because you can't lose those. Those are critical to the this. host. The system is
2: our product. Is our host? You know, right. our our website is a store and a communication platform. Mm-hmm. It is not actually the product, unlike. Mm-hmm. Google, where their website is the product. Our product is in the physical world. These people, without them, we don't exist.
1: Right. All right. So then on the scamming side of hosts, uh, you know, there's the- vast, Oh, the fake vast, listings, the all that. The listings.
2: Well, you know, the verified listings will absolutely help that. I think that's probably, I think the verified listings is by far their greatest offense. Now, we have other things, but I think that is the, the mm-hmm. solution.
1: Mm-hmm. And to, to, to that the people don't say there's places that aren't or they try to scam people out of-
2: Yeah, and I just think that like,
1: I have to say that's never happened to me, and I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of Airbnb. Well,
2: it's important to know that, like, there's two and a half million to three million people every night staying at Airbnb. So when you read about things, they very often are the one in a million. Well, it's interesting because I can well, imagine you about it happening, them.
1: and I'm like, of course that could easily happen. But,
2: but I, don't want, I don't want people to come away thinking this stuff's happening every single, mm-hmm. every one in every five reservations. We're just totally asleep at the wheel. The things that are reported happen... They happen one in many hundreds of thousands or one in many millions, mm-hmm. but we do know they're very credibility damaging, and one is always one too many. And so we have to tighten the controls.
1: We're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this with Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. I want to get to one more story before we talk about what's going on with rail regulation. With real yeah. regulation, you told a very funny story on stage at the New York Times. I'd love you to recount that, yeah. like the relationship between host and guest is really interesting to me What you because hotels, it's sort of a financial transaction, yeah, I'll it's pay you simple. money it's straightforward. which you've gotten into with Hotel Tonight and others, but yeah. it's simple, I, I don't talk to you you don't talk to me, you give me the room you keep me relatively safe, like people don't try to break in, yeah. you don't put like win- you don't have shitty window locks or, or <laughs> locks yeah. on the doors or you don't have access to keys or you give me a special lock it's a pretty transactional situation right. With it's cash based essentially yeah. some hotels you have a better relationship with service yeah. and things like that you were talking—this relationship, you talked a really funny one that you stay—you stay in them all the time, right? Yeah, Correct. all the time. Are you I staying in used- one now or do you not? Yeah, yeah,
2: I'm staying in one now, and I— uh, Do you
1: only stay in the Lux and Plus ones? I'm guessing you do.
2: I try to stay in Plus. Mm-hmm. I don't usually stay in Lux. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my family, I treat them to Lux. I usually mm-hmm. stay in Plus— if we have them, otherwise I'll stay in regular Airbnbs.
1: Okay, and this was one that you had, talk about the story, it was, correct me, Oh, I, I, had a, I
2: had this really weird story. So in 2000, actually, this was actually back in 2010. We outgrew our apartment, mm-hmm. and we were working on an apartment, I said, hey everyone, I'll give my bedroom up uh, to the company that uses a meeting room, and I'm just gonna live on Airbnb. So I got this mm-hmm. idea to live I on work. Airbnb. And every three to five days in San Francisco, I'd stay at a different Airbnb. And one day I encounter this woman, and she described a listing with her and her parrot. And you get to stay with her and her parrot.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I end up booking the reservation, not realizing that what I had booked was a studio apartment, meaning one room right. with this woman and a parrot. And she was there <laughs> in the room. And she, I get in the room and there's a bed. And right next to the bed's a couch. Uh-huh. And I'm like, how is this going to work? Uh-huh. And she's like 30 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And she sleeps on the couch. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the bed. Mm-hmm. And the parrot joins me in the bed <laughs>
1: because she's and I was
2: like before. that did not that was not described in my amenities right and so I really don't want to talk about what happened that night right, but right. <laughs> um, but I have experience with parents San Francisco now and um, Paris. but we have the weirdest situations the other story I told uh, today is Zappos mm-hmm. if you do customer service mm-hmm. what kind of calls do you get the shoes didn't arrive or they came damaged or I didn't get my shoes I don't those, like the shoes yeah. like those are kind of the three issues we have thousands and thousands of issue types. You can imagine how hard it is to train our customer service. I'll mm-hmm. give you an example. A number of years ago, a very famous customer service case comes. Our guests call. They say they want a refund. Mm-hmm. We say, great. Why do you want a refund? They say, because the house is haunted. Mm-hmm. They say, what do you mean the house is haunted? They said, there's a ghost there. And- Of course, our process is when there's a complaint, we ask the other party, so we call the host. We say, and we're kind of like thinking this person's crazy. Host, we're really sorry, but the guest claims your house is haunted, there's a ghost. Now, all the host has to do is deny it. Mm -hmm. There's, by definition, no photo evidence. Right, right. Unfortunately, the host makes our life harder because they confirm there's a ghost. They say, yes, that's true, but it's not any ghost. It's a friendly ghost named Stanley. And And Stanley is described in our listing. We go to the listing. And of course, Stanley is in the he listing. And
1: missed the ghost. And
2: point. so the, we go to the guests, say, We're really sorry, but like, you did book a listing. And they actually promoted the listing, he said, Yes, we know. In fact, that's why we booked it. Mm-hmm. We wanted to stay with Stanley. But Stanley's really creepy and really angry. And we want a refund because he's not a friendly ghost. <laughs> yeah, how do you adjudicate this? And both sides so insisted what on do? getting the guest one, the full refund, the host wanted to get paid. That was probably a we ate the cost kind of situation, right. just to make both sides happy. But like that's a weirdly extreme example. But we have so many of these examples. So We've you, got the weirdest stories. We've you, got some when, really when messed up to, stories too. Are you too.
1: worried about the really terrible things like Arinda? Like Arinda? Did you imagine this yeah. is a mass murder? But even worse, there's like you could have a lot of really like yeah. terrible things happen. Of
2: course, it, it, it uh, the, the classic what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night is that uh, we build the platform because we wanted to create magical experiences for people and horrible things happen. And every incident is one too many and I take them incredibly seriously and it's very personal. And the other thing I do is, I don't do it for everyone, but when there's a tragedy, I try to make a death death or an assault. I try to make a habit to try to call the family or have one of our senior members call the family. And I don't want to say I do every time. Mm-hmm. But I, and I think it's important because I think it's important for us to confront the human cost of our platforms. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that happens in Silicon Valley is that people become users and users become numbers. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is you kind of forget these are people's lives. Right. And the best way to remember people's lives is something horrible happens. You actually meet with them. You call them. You offer your condolence and you hear people just crying on the other side. And it's heartbreaking. And it's those conversations that make you never forget it. And I've um, not been able to get in touch with the victims, but my senior team has called the victims. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, these are the kind of people I would want to talk to. Should
1: you and, go and see the victims or go to their funeral, go to these things? Is this something you think
2: we've done? You're only
1: partially responsible for this. We've done we?
2: this stuff in the past and I'm very open to it. And I would want to talk to my team before having like a, a, a very uh, kind of impulse decision. But we try to make sure that we face the consequences of what happens. So in our what community.
1: would you call Mark Zuckerberg called Elizabeth Warren his ex? existential crisis. What is yours? I don't think she is. but
2: Existential crisis. What is
1: your thing? She was in an existential crisis to a Warren presidency, to Facebook. What's an existential crisis? Because you're going public next year. You've announced this.
2: I mean, I think the answer people expect is government regulatory. But I think that you manage, and I can talk about that in a second. I think the existential crisis for Airbnb is a crisis in confidence or trust in the platform. Okay. At the end of the day, what we invented wasn't a way to book a home. It was a way for people to trust one another. And that's why this stuff is so bad. If people feel like they can't trust Airbnb community members so they can't trust Airbnb, the company, then the whole system doesn't really work. And so anything that compromises trust is an existential crisis. I do think government regulatory used to be an existential crisis to our existence. We used to debate, will Airbnb exist in the future? We now no longer debate it. We're mostly debating, what's the tax rate? What's the night's caps? What's the registration scheme? So we're mostly debating so, how we'll exist. So you
1: just lost in Jersey City? Yes. And they're worried about just this thing, parties, people in and out of yep. neighborhoods. You still continue to get attacked to ruining neighborhoods, you know, people dragging, not, renting, ruining the rental yep. crisis. Do you feel responsible for that?
2: I think that you know we want to make sure that we strengthen the communities we serve. We believe in aggregate we do. If our platform is being used for harm or harming neighborhoods, then we are responsible for that, and we have to take recourse and change things. Now the problem, you know, and we've tried to do that. For example, we're in a hundred thousand cities. In 500 of the largest jurisdictions, we've made agreements to collect remit tax. We have agreed on registration systems like the city of San Francisco. Almost every major city in the world, we have an agreement with them. The agreement that the city and the government has agreed to, they usually involve registration. um, some, Yeah, a, a restriction of number of nights. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, all that kind of stuff. Jersey City, we actually came to agreement in 2015. And we even hosted the mayor in our office. We had a great meeting. We had a great relationship in the city of New Jersey, uh, Jersey City. And Jersey City, for many years, was a outlier vis-a-vis New York City. Now, New York City, politically and, and from a regulatory standpoint, is the worst city in the world for Airbnb. Mm-hmm. It has historically been easier for us to do business in China and Cuba than the mm-hmm. city of New York. I just that is, built
1: balls, that is, <laughs> thrilled with that.
2: <laughs> it is true, though. And why is this? There's a whole bunch of reasons, but one reason um, is it has been a battle with the hotels. The hotel unions and the hotels here are very powerful, and what ended up happening is that a couple years ago, the hotel unions were concerned about the growing prominence of New Jersey City. Now, I don't want to say there were no issues with Mm -hmm. substantive Airbnb, but- the actual battle was somewhat a political battle. And so they got involved in Jersey City. The tone changed with the, the mayor. And this ended up becoming a little bit of a battle between the New York hotel interests and Airbnb Inc. Um, there was an election yesterday. Actually, it was, it, was, it was a ballot issue that we brought. So there was restrictive legislation. So we, um, Airbnb, um, and the host organized to gain enough signatures to try to create a ballot initiative to undo the legislation. We lost. We only got 30 percent of the vote. And the primary, it was, if you actually poll people, it wasn't 70-30, but they had much higher voter turnout mm-hmm. than we did. The other side was much more galvanized. And so it was a defeat. And so the law will now go into effect. Mm-hmm. It will stay in effect. But, you know, we take the issues very seriously. So millions and
1: of dollars you've tried worked. Lost millions it. of
2: dollars. And, yeah. th- and the other hotel union in the hotel industry, also put a million dollars. In fact, it was, you know, I think the collective amount of money was the most money of a local campaign in New Jersey in a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, how can you operate like this? Is this going to happen in juris? Is this going to be a playbook for jurisdictions to battle Airbnb?
2: I think this is more... As you're a, going
1: public, you've yeah, got to know no, I don't think so. I mean, like, listen. We,
2: no, again, we have 500 agreements in the top 500 markets that cover the majority of our revenue. Most of these things have been adjudicated. They can still be reopened. But I think Jersey City is a unique situation and I think it's an extension of the New York City problem. Mm-hmm. You know, Jersey City many of the hotel groups that have hotels in new york city also have expansion plans or have hotels in jersey city it's not necessarily a different market it sounds like a different state mm-hmm. it is a different state but it's no, it is. It's, it's, store. it's really the same hotel market yeah. they they, they the same real estate developers so I think this is not necessarily a contagion to other markets. I think it's more of just a sign of what's going to happen in New York City. We've been you know, in this kind of quagmire for nine and a half years, and I don't think anything's going to get resolved by the time we're public. In fact, it could be many more years that we're looking at problems in New York City. you ever
1: think York of City. pulling out of New York City? Yes, just, we
2: have, repeatedly. Yeah. I've had numerous conversations. And the thing that keeps stopping me, and maybe, maybe it's wrong, is that there are 70,000 people who depend on it to pay the rent or mortgage and you know if only our opponents really believed us because actually one of the largest professions of host in new york city are school teachers mm-hmm. and you know we used to do meetups we know a lot of these people by like like mm-hmm. historically by name but it's less than 1% of revenue and it doesn't make financial sense to like stay in New York, battle New York, because New York is such a large brand Mm -hmm. that it creates a perception we have problems everywhere. Mm -hmm. And to say we have problems everywhere, if you actually look statistically, the vast majority of cities, we have reasonably settled law. Again, we've collected $1.6 billion in hotel tax around the world. We will soon be the largest collector and emitter hotel tax, larger than Hilton and Marriott. New York City, though, is the hardest city in the world to operate in. There is no question around that. And so I think Jersey City is an extension of that. And yeah, it's been really difficult.
1: So two more things. Yeah. Away from the hotels, and I want to get back to the at the end, do you still think maybe you're hurting neighborhoods? You look around San Francisco, we've got this huge economic divide. People can't live in the cities. People want to Airbnb yeah. these things and make business. Do you ever worry about that you're really causing a real problem in these cities? With I the worry. Ginger?
2: I do worry because I want to make sure that whatever we make is good for the world and I want to make sure that we make is good for the communities we operate in. So I don't want to be the tech leader saying we're good, we have no impact or anything like that. So one of the things we want to do is we said that we must measure our impact. Well, first of all, here's what I said to our team. When we go public, I want to make sure that we are a company that's good for society. And that means that we have more than one stakeholder. It's not just shareholders. It's the communities we operate in. It's our customers. It's our host. And therefore, we need to measure the impact on these stakeholders. And we need to treat those metrics as serious as financial metrics. Mm -hmm. And so we care deeply. Now, in the city of San Francisco, you use that example, Mm -hmm. we actually have settled law with them. And the settled law is that every host in San Francisco has to register with the city. They have to Mm -hmm. go to city hall and get a registration. In the registration process, what are they looking to do? All they're looking to do is make sure you rent the home that you live in that it's not an investment property. And so they have to provide documentation. It's not an investment property. And we don't allow homes listed in San Francisco that are not registered. And they actually cap the number of nights. I believe it's 90 days. days. Um, And it varies by city. So I kind of can mix up the numbers. But like, and this is what we've done in hundreds of cities around the world. And we've worked at affordable housing groups. We've worked with a variety of different groups to find something that works for everyone. We want to be on the right side of this issue. We don't want to make housing more expensive. And I, I'm aware of the concerns and complaints. And I want to move faster if people feel like we're not being responsive in a certain locality or a certain market. Because the point is that we started Airbnb because I couldn't afford to pay rent. Like, mm-hmm. that's why we started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, is totally crazy that we're now you know, we found ourselves on the other side of this. Right. And it, it is what it is. I do think that we don't have the impact on neighborhoods and cities that sometimes people think we do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a little bit hard to battle. This is like a bit of a political argument, so so to speak. But, you know, we believe that in a city has a housing crisis, people should be able to rent the homes they live in. If, If you already live in the home, how are you making housing prices more expensive? So all we're debating is investment properties. And if there's a registration system that's says that you must Mm -hmm. register your home to make sure that you attest that's your primary home, then I believe this is a settled situation. Okay. It should not be so complicated. So
1: going public, um, you've moved into hotels. You have moved into experience, yeah. and hotels have moved into your space. You bought isn't a hotel. That, isn't that
2: just the weird irony that no, hotels, hotels are fighting us and also going him, into our business? Them. They're hedging both sides.
1: Yeah, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah,
2: well. or, or, or then or they'll play be your both. Bet. You'll
1: be hanging out you with the Marriott executives. You can't lose if you try both strategies. You'll same be time. like sunning yourself in St. Barts with the Marriott executive soon enough.
2: <laughs> um, is, is he sunning in St. Barts? No,
1: they're not. No, not that family. Definitely not that family you're going to go public you're you you've tried to expand your businesses but your primary business remains these house rentals yeah, but you've the tried primarily experiences how big is hotel's going to be for you you bought hotel tonight which is a distributor of hotel rooms not a hotel chain
2: yeah so it's not a hotel chain and hotel tonight is primarily boutique hotels i love
1: i love hotel tonight yeah it's and i love it album.
2: and sam shank and i i've known him for 8 or 9 years mm-hmm. he's the founder of hotel tonight. They're a great company. They we're literally down the street from us. It was a no brainer to buy them. We had a very similar customer base. The same people who book yeah. everybody's also book 100%. hotels. So how big will it be? I mean, we will be doing billions of dollars a year in hotel bookings. Um, I don't wanna like put out a financial forecast of when or the exact number that would not be appropriate, but it will be a big business. I don't, we're not gonna be as big as booking.com mm. or Expedia anytime soon, but we will soon have millions and millions of people booking it. So the answer to the question is it's one of our fastest-growing segments. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like – think of it this way. Hundreds of millions of people come into our store. Many are looking for homes. Some others are looking for homes or hotels. If, we, if they're already in our store and we have a hotel, you know, even if it's the same hotel another website has, well, they're already in the store. Mm-hmm. They'll just buy it with us. Right. So because of that reason, there's an opportunity for us to be – one of the largest hotel bookers in the world. Mm-hmm. And I th- actually think the- it's like Uber and
1: Uber Eats. The yeah. odd
2: irony is many hotel companies and hotel operators and real estate developers who've been fighting Airbnb yeah. are now reaching out to us. Do you know <laughs> why they're reaching out to us?
1: Because you have hotel tonight.
2: And why, do we, why would they reach out to us? Because they want lower commissions. Well, we take 15% commission. Right. Expedient booking take often closer to 20% commission. Mm-hmm. And the expedient booking give discounts to chain hotels, but boutiques have to pay higher rates. So there's this really interesting thing where suddenly they say, wait a second maybe actually you can benefit us I oh, never Brian. would have imagined that oh
1: Brian you're so, Isn't it so weird?
2: but the last one is experiences yeah. and um, that is the fastest growing part of our company and I do think that it will be you know I, I, I don't want to put out a timeline but I do think one day it could certainly rival the size of the homes business mm. you know I think if
1: you can add airlines onto that
2: yeah, 100%. I mean, we hired Fred Reed, the founder of yes, Virgin America. And so we are going at the transportation business. But we've decided to take that slow and steady, kind of learn from mm-hmm. our other experiences growing so quickly and make sure that we build the product right. And we want to make sure the airlines like us. Yeah. And so that requires Best us Best airline to-
1: that didn't make money in the world. <laughs> You Virgin, say? Virgin America, best airline that didn't make money. I was so sad and we yeah,
2: it, it was an incredible experience, though. Mm-hmm. And it is a really hard business to make oh, money in airlines. Absolutely. I, I mean, you've got so much fixed cost in that business. You know, hotel, uh, flight booking is not as bad a business as people think. It's actually, you know, there are ways to make money, especially so if you don't have to buy the customers. We already thing. have the customers. So you're
1: still doing the, the same thing yeah. in your store, adding more. Yes. All right, last question. You're going public. I, we'll talk about that at Code. I think it'll probably yeah. have been public. I'm excited to do that. This is a shitty time for companies to go public. <laughs> I didn't ask if you want really? a question about WeWork because I don't think you're anything like Adam Newman I, and and that company. Um, you're casual, positive. You've got a lot of. I, you're probably the most non laughable internet. That unicorn is such there a. Is. I, That's a compliment from Kara Swisher. Can, can I get one of those like
2: movie quotes <laughs> from Kara Swisher? Airbnb. The most unlaughable of the not internet companies. Not laughable of the internet <laughs> companies. That was really my aspiration. Okay. My parents will be proud You've of me. it. You've done
1: it. You've done You have lovely. By the way, Brian Jetski has the loveliest family I've ever met of <laughs> any of the internet people. My good side. They are real lovely. They're extraordinarily <laughs> lovely. But you're going public. How are you going to manage this with the what things, the way things have been, the market's been? Are you like, oh, Jesus? Well, I'm going to stay
2: off private jets, try yeah. not to get high on them. Um, <laughs> These are some basics that the bankers tell Try not you. to get in the
1: back of cabs and yeah, yell at them.
2: Yeah, exactly. Try not to yell at my host. So these are, these are sensible things. Be nice so. to the parrot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, be nice to the parrot. Don't yell at the parrot. Right. You know, um, so, so these are, um, have people read the S1. You know, right. don't just kind of right. type with your eyes closed and publish right. it. Right. Um, no, we're going to be very careful. And when we did a kickoff meeting with some bankers, we got them all in a room. And the, this is right in the middle of the WeWork things. And I said to them, I said, this WeWork thing is going very obviously badly. Badly is probably an understatement. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm just wondering how that happened. One of two things happened. Either the bankers didn't tell him the truth Mm -hmm. or he chose not to listen to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm promising you now that I'm going to listen to you. So what I need in return is for you to tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. What are our liabilities? What are we doing that we can't stand behind? Like, do not be don't don't come here and tell me how amazing I am. Mm-hmm. Bankers, like they what they want to do, the orientation is to pander to the founders, oh, to adulate really? them. Really? Yeah. I uh, that no shit. <laughs> and maybe we're not all as great as we think we are. You're not. And maybe we're not all as great as they said we were. You are. You know, Jeff Bezos used to tell me, today's poster boys, tomorrow's pinata. Right. You're not as good as they say, you're not as bad as they say. Right. Just find the middle ground. Right. And so that's probably true. And so we're gonna be really thoughtful. We're going to make sure that um, you know we're very clear about our disclosures. I think the rule of disclosures are have as few as possible. If you have a whole bunch of disclosures and conflicts, deal with them Mm -hmm. before the S one. Write it very much early on. But I also think we are a different business. We have more money in the bank than we've raised. We're not a nonprofit. You know, There's a lot right. of nonprofits yeah. these days raising right. billions of dollars without any timeline to make money. And I just think that like people want to feel like companies run by grownups. Mm-hmm. And I think there are people who are just really, really tired of people with a huge amount of responsibility that maybe they wonder if they deserve that responsibility. And I just don't want to be one of those people. And so it's a lot about looking hard in the mirror and saying, like, can we stand behind every single thing we're doing?
1: Yeah. So, do you feel like you're part of Silicon Valley? That's why I like you more than <laughs> you do. You're trying to be an adult, at least. I've
2: right? tried to be an adult. That's, yeah. that's another great Kara <laughs> Swisher Co. Brian Chesky, the no, uh, I
1: tried to be
2: this. the 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 was it the least, laughable, least and laughable the least laughable and least childlike of the Silicon Valley <laughs> leaders I I I appreciate that that is a, you
1: accept your responsibility That's I what do I, I do
2: accept my responsibility and I'm sorry now I totally forgot the question Oh am I part of Silicon Valley Yeah are
1: you You don't seem to hang out with them I asked you that well, once You're it, like you I'm the most s- boring person alive.
2: Uh, I, I really, you know, I used to take offense to you when you told me I'm the most boring person alive. My comms team is ecstatic about how boring I am. Yeah. I will do. I'll do a jigsaw puzzle at night. They're like, "That's great. Just stay off private jets and like <laughs> stay out of clubs and stay away from Don Julio." So, yeah. Um,
1: when you're a billionaire, that could change. <laughs> yeah. You might already. Be I'm one. gonna
2: be. I, I'm happy to be boring. Um, I just want my business to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And we, I kind of work day and night. And so I am part of Silicon Valley. I just don't think I'm part of the Silicon Valley scene because I'm not sure I'm part of any scene. I think you need to go out at night to do that and yeah, I don't do yeah. enough of so that. So
1: your mentor, you mentioned this last question. Uh, when I asked Mark Zuckerberg's mentor, uh, he said M- Bill Gates. And I went, oh, dear, that's not a good one. Who's was your mentor? Don't say Bill Gates. I was thinking because of the, some of the – Well, I've been – Bill Gates now is a good one, but go ahead.
2: I've had a lot of mentors over the years. Um, People that have been so kind and generous to me, you know, Warren Buffett was a a very important one, and I visited him numerous times in Omaha. Um, President Obama, um, you know, I at one point had a standing we could call with him for a period of time, and he kind of really helped me think through a lot of our issues. No, 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 last year. Not all year round, but we would meet very, very frequently, Mm -hmm. and I've had numerous conversations with him. and. He's been a reminder to me that we have a responsibility, not just to shareholders, but to society, Mm -hmm. that we need to make sure that when we win, society feels like they win, that we need to be thoughtful and intentional about our product. We need to imagine how it's going to be used. We need to meet people who don't like us. We have to consider people like he's just like the definition of thoughtfulness. And that. I don't want to say Silicon Valley's not been thoughtful so much as they've been so fast. They haven't had time to think about anything they're doing. Uh, you know, that would be the at least the extreme example Silicon Valley gone wrong. And so he's been, obviously, a very, very important influence in my life. And I had the good fortune of meeting him because I was part of this thing called the Global Entrepreneurship Summit where basically we kind of worked with him on behalf of the entrepreneurs around the world. And the real reason I knew him is because of Cuba. He basically re- lifted the restrictions and embargo in the bar going, Cuba. He needed business examples. <laughs> There's not many business examples in Cuba except for Airbnb. And so we got to know him, and um, he became a big influence. And I've had other people as well, but I've been pretty shameless about asking people for help, you know. And I think that that's really, really important. You're the average of the people you surround yourself with, mm-hmm. and you have to be curious. You have to. And, and, and it's shocking the caliber of people that will help you and of course when I was starting out I didn't have that caliber but I had people that were always ahead of me in my life and I've always tried to make sure I learn and I um, I, you know I I think that's it's so critical to to be thoughtful and learn and I hope one thing people say about me is that I learn and I asked for help. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know what else they'll say, but I think they'll say. And yeah,
1: one thing that I think struck me. we'll end it on is you took Belinda's advice. She's your CEO yes. that you meet with people who don't like you. Yes. Can you finish on that?
2: Yeah. So in 2010, we had our first political challenge in New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were in, in unlike most tech companies. Most tech companies never had policy issues until they were big. Mm-hmm. We had policy problems before we were big, and so it kind of ba- baked in our DNA. And all these people were protesting us and fighting us. And my instinct was to avoid them. If people don't like you, avoid them. Because if you go to if you meet them, there'll be confrontation, and they'll hate you more, and it'll be very bad. Mm-hmm. So let's stay out of their way. And I that was my default path. And then I made a hire that changed my life. And the hire was my general counsel, time my now COO, Belinda Johnson. And Belinda Johnson said. No, you have it all wrong. If somebody doesn't like you, you should meet them because it's hard to hate up close. And when you meet them, You learn and you listen, but you can also educate. And so many problems are basically lack of understanding between two parties. And so essentially, we changed from secretary of war to secretary of state. And so I told Belinda, I said, let's just meet all the people that hate us. Unfortunately, there were so many people, I didn't have enough time in the day to meet all of them. (laughs) But I basically went on a tour of meeting all these different people. And the good news is 99 times out of 100, they hated me less. I'm not saying they liked me, but they hated me less. And they started realizing we're thoughtful, we're trying to do the right thing. And through that, you know, I also got a point of reference to them. I got to understanding how they understood things. Why they things. hated you. I'm sorry? Why they hated you. <laughs> yeah, why they hated me. Why do you hate me? And sometimes, they, like one time I met a, uh, a, a politician. I'm not going to say who they are. And I just, and I'm asked this person to describe our business. She describes my business. I said, that's not how our business operates. And so she looks at the end of the table and she says, show me. And she points to a television. Mm -hmm. She wanted me to show her my website on the television. And I thought, oh my God, this is a bad sign. Mm -hmm. But it it just reminded me that there was a fair amount of education involved in these companies. And it really led to this idea that we can't be a fighting brand. Mm -hmm. The last thing you want is a company where people live together, having a founder who wants to fight people. Like that's a bad combination. Mm -hmm. So we thought... We partner with cities. If we're going to tell guests and hosts, you have to figure out how to sort out your differences. Mm -hmm. How could we possibly not set an example ourselves? And so that's what we tried to do. And listen, like you're going to have situations where there's going to be people critical. But I think most government officials in most cities would say on balance, Airbnb has been a good partner and pretty good to work with and easier to work with than other Silicon Valley companies. And I hope they say that. And if they do, I'd be very proud of it.
1: All right, who are you gonna meet that hates you next? Who am I gonna what? Meet that hates you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I you know I you have, should give me a
1: list. I have Bill De
2: Blasio's cell phone number. Oh, he that. loves me.
1: <laughs> Does he? No. <laughs> no so. All right, um, so. Brian. We're going to end on that. Thank uh, you very we'll much, Kara. Text him a picture of us together. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. You texted appreciate- me yourself and and, yeah. and, and wanted well, to talk. A,
2: yeah, I, I think it's important to meet the people. <laughs> you
1: engage. No, you engage. It's, it's I truly appreciate it. I've got somehow got many others on the run, but you always engage. And I really. Appreciate I always. It. I'm always here. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, Brian, for coming on the show. And the first joke was just a joke I would never Airbnb out my house. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. And my producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcast, Reset. Just search for it in your podcasting app of choice or tap on the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.